Hello and welcome to Talking Home Renovations with House Maven. This is Catherine McPhail. I am your host and I'm an architect working in Eastern Massachusetts on home renovations, additions to existing homes. That's everything that I do. And I'm creating this podcast as a resource for homeowners who are thinking of doing renovation coming up and wanting to learn as much as they can about it. And today is the second part of our Psychology of Space episodes. In this episode, I am talking again to Catherine Golden Oak of Spring Green Interior Design here in Arlington, Massachusetts. She was also in part one, so perhaps you'd like to go back and listen to that if you haven't heard it yet. In this episode, we're talking about how certain spaces in our homes we might notice are not working, and we're going to try to figure out why that might be. So every room is going to have different elements. So any one of these isn't going to be exactly the situation that a listener might have, but it can illustrate some of the things that you might want to consider if you're in a room that's not working. So when we were talking about um, our proprioceptive awareness of how a space feels in terms of the size and scale, I had a client who called me in because um, she and her husband had just completed a huge addition to their house that included a very large master suite. Uh, The master bedroom was extremely large and had a big vaulted ceiling. The project had gone over budget and over time, so they were very frustrated with the whole project, and it was finally complete, and they moved in, and she hated it. It had the bed area with, um, you know, some storage furniture, side tables, um, some dressers. It had a walk-in closet as well, but it had some dressers in in the bed area. It had a fireside seating area, so a fireplace with some chairs there. Mm -hmm. It had an exercise area. In the bedroom? In the bedroom. uh, And it had an area for television watching in the bedroom. So it was a whole apartment, basically. It was was kind of a studio apartment without without a kitchen. Um, But if you're, you know, trying to relax by the fire, having somebody watching television or exercising right next to you isn't necessarily what you're going to find relaxing, much less if you're sleeping, you know, and having somebody using any of the other. But the real kicker in this was uh, it was a huge space and it had this big vaulted ceiling and it had beautiful hardwood floors, and it was a huge echo chamber that was exactly the opposite of cozy. Mm. So the woman who had called me and said, I don't like sleeping here. I want to go back and sleep in our old bedroom, um, but my husband is angry that I don't like it because we just spent so much money on it. Yeah. Can we make it feel more cozy? And so my first response was like, have you considered having something over your bed? You know, whether it's like a tester bed, which is like those old fashioned beds that have a not a canopy, it's a wooden piece that goes over the bed Mm. or a canopy, or even if you don't want to have something over the bed because you want to see a beautiful vaulted ceiling, having curtains around the bed will bring it to a scale that's the human scale. Talking about Versailles earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, even though they have huge palatial beds in Versailles, they do all have a cover that's significantly lower than where the ceiling is. They've got this enormous vast ceiling, but the beds, while still kind of grandiose to our usual scale these days, the beds do have something that brings it down to that human scale. Yeah. And that's, you know, something that uh, this woman's husband was just dead set against putting anything around the bed because he wanted to see the beautiful vaulted ceiling. Mm. Um, Sounds like they had enough room for two beds in that place. They had enough room probably for four or five beds. (laughs) It was a big room. (laughs) So in terms of talking about how can we cozify this room, you know, the next thing that occurred to me was like, well, we could put in a rug because it's this huge echo chamber. Um, And he kind of gave me this look and he's like, we just paid so much money to put down this hardwood floor. Like I'll be darned if I'm going to cover it with a rug. Okay. So I said, well, like, how about, you know, window treatments? <laughs> Cause we could put something with soft fabric there and it could absorb some sound. Mm. Um, 
and he didn't want window he, treatments. He didn't like that either. Yeah. Yeah. So the basic push pull here was that um, they had thought that they wanted this huge echoey room. They had bought and paid for it and it had been an excruciating project and he couldn't be happy with using it in any way that wasn't the way they had thought they wanted it. Uh, and in truth, the way they had thought they wanted it was really an uncomfortable space to sleep in. It mm -hmm. might be great if you wanted to just sort of sit there and watch the fire or exercise or watch television, but it's not a good bedroom. Um, so you get this kind of agoraphobia, but you're inside. Mm -hmm. So again, ways that you, if you have a space that's out of scale like that, ways that you can help with it are to bring it into scale through um, creating smaller spaces within that big space. They didn't really have clear uh, visual distinction between the areas. Mm -hmm. So even just through furniture placement, there are ways that it could feel a little bit more separate. You know, here's your TV watching area. It's a little bit different from where your exercise area is. You can see the TV from the exercise area, but it doesn't feel like it's just one huge vast space. Mm. Um, this is also something you see a lot in open plan homes. Uh, mm. People have gone so far in the open plan direction that there are homes that just don't have enough walls for sound management, for privacy, for having a place to put your art or your television. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like in a lot of ways, people have had their hands tied by having these incredibly open spaces with no walls. And so there are furniture placement tricks that you can help create smaller spaces within the big space so that it feels more in scale with the shape, shape and size that we are as, as humans. Yeah. So creating smaller spaces within the space, um, finding ways to bring um, elements down from the ceiling, whether it's, um, you know, a canopy or a tester over the bed would be an element that's a lower sense of where your head is, even though it's not the ceiling that's that low. Likewise, you could have pendant lights that were coming down that were at a lower level. You see this a lot in some restaurants. They'll have very high ceilings, but they'll have pendants that come down, you know, to a place where it doesn't feel as if there's this vast ceiling above you. So it kind of creates this, this own ceiling. It basically creates, level. yeah, it's, it's a very visually permeable ceiling, but it creates a layer yeah. uh, that is lower than the ceiling. Actually, sometimes you'll even see a dropped layer, whether it's um, like a dropped layer that's a, a grid or that's um, beams. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes you'll even just have one that's fully framed in and plastered. That's just a, this is an area that's dropped down. Mm -hmm. uh, so it can be done sort of mechanically with physical objects, but it can also be done with lighting. It can be done with plants. So generally uh, in a big echoey space, finding ways to bring it down to human scale, uh, subdividing it a bit so that there's more separation of space. And this goes for open home, uh, open plan homes, as well as just huge rooms in and of themselves, hmm. creating uh, visual distinction between spaces uh, if it's possible, creating also some, you know, like auditory distinction between spaces can be helpful. In terms of functional layout, I've seen a number of kitchens with problems in functional layout. If you have this annoying dysfunctional thing in your house, um, even if you kind of get used to it, it's always going to be this low level annoying thing. Yeah. Um, so having something that's functionally laid out, whether it's in the soft furnishings or in something that's built in like a counter, um, thinking through that functionality before making it happen and then being sure that what you've got is meeting the needs for function of that room is just really important. So people listening, if you've got a space in your house that is functionally not working, I would say sit down and kind of map out what functions you need, map out what's dysfunctional, and that should help you triangulate into what needs to change. Right. Good suggestion. People have different cleaning uh, habits, abilities, passions, whether or not they hire somebody. But um, if you've ever visited a space that has a really dirty bathroom. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like a place that you're getting clean. Um, and so this, this space that is supposed to be a bathing space uh, 
or a space that you can do what you need to do in the bathroom and then wash your hands and feel clean and leave um, when they're dirty really like counteracts that yes so if you've been in a bathroom that's you know got cat litter underfoot or you know like lots of hair and dust everywhere I've, oh, I've yes. been in bathrooms where I felt like washing my hands with the bar soap that was provided was going to make my hands less clean <laughs> um, so yeah. being being aware of that again and I'm not saying everybody has to compulsively clean their house but if you live in a space that's like that you know that your bathroom doesn't feel clean and that can be something that may on a subconscious level like not be feeling great and I don't love cleaning. I'll be honest. Like, I really don't love cleaning, but you're sort of, you're taking care of yourself by having your home provide your needs and feel good. Right. So um, while it is, it is extra work being aware of sort of the function of a room and optimizing that function, like a bathroom is a place where it's nice to get out of the shower without having cat litter underfoot. You know, mm-hmm. Little yeah. things. On the opposite side of um, the big sort of agoraphobic room is kind of the flip side is like a tiny little windowless room in the basement, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, A claustrophobic room. Maybe it's got like old wood paneling that's dark from the Mm seventies. Imagine you're walking into this room. It's small. There's built-in bookshelves on either side as you walk in. And so the only place that you could put a TV, which, you know, this is going to be a TV slash gaming lair. The only place you can put the TV is directly across from the door, which naturally, because it's a small room, means that wherever you sit has to have its back to the door, which doesn't feel good because of saber-toothed tigers sneaking up on you. Right. So you're in this, like, dank, musty-smelling place with, like, lots of visual clutter because of open bookshelves. Um, it, it feels like your back is to the door and anybody could sneak up on you. Say there's a low ceiling, so it's, like, feeling like you're being smushed because the ceiling's loaded. Yeah, you're painting quite a picture. The claustrophobic basement room is a challenge in its architecture. I would say the first thing I'd look at if a client brought me that space and said, what do I do? Is I would look at, uh, are any of these walls possible to break out into the rest of the basement? Can we make this room bigger? Mm -hmm. And I guess it's unlikely that all of the walls would be load-bearing. I can imagine two of them might be. Yeah, I don't know. Have you seen a home where like all of them would be load bearing? Um, no, and a tiny little enclosed space in the basement with all load bearing yeah. walls. No, it, can't, no. it doesn't seem you, like it would be possible. Usually, yeah, usually you can put a beam in anyway, unless they're stone, like a little stone foundation, weird mm-hmm. torture mm-hmm. room in the basement. I mean, there could <laughs> <Right>. be those. <laughs> there's, there's weird rooms. Yep. I, I love New England homes because they're really quirky. I think elsewhere in the country, there's probably areas where the homes are probably much more uniform, but um, I really like the quirkiness of New England homes. Yeah. So the first thing I would look at is what is around the room? Is it possible we could reclaim more space from something? Um, And it may even go up to, if it's really important to them to make this space more comfortable, if there's something like a broiler on the other side, like, would it be too much to move this? How much do you want this space to feel more open? But mm-hmm. ideally, there would be some space somewhere around that room that they could bump it out in one direction of the three, right? Because one wall is probably the foundation wall. Mm-hmm. So if we can physically make that room bigger, that's great. Um, you know, we know that the low ceiling isn't optimal because it tends to feel cramped, but that's a, a parameter that in the basement you can't usually change because the ceiling's going to go right up to the floor above you. But uh, that room that I had described also has um, visual clutter because it's got open shelving on all the walls. So that could be slightly mitigated. If we're redoing the room and bumping out the walls, I would say uh, placing the television not with the seat backing to the door. Mm-hmm. So uh, taking out one of those built-in walls and putting the TV on one of the left or right walls mm-hmm. so that the person sitting there has their side to the door. 
uh, or if there's enough space on the door wall to put the TV adjacent to the door, uh, that's even nicer because then the person who's sitting in the seat is facing the door, which is that baseball glove welcoming, you know, you walk into the room and you kind of feel enfolded by the, the welcome of the seating. Mm. So if there's enough space for that, that would be even better. And then if there is storage, like the built-ins, um, built-ins with doors can be really nice because they make things go away. And this is true a lot for people with kids who have a lot of stuff. You know, I've got this small tricycle, you know, like, and it just sits in the living room. What do I do with it? And if you have enough space storage with doors, uh, you can put the tricycle away if you have somebody visiting and you don't want the tricycle in your living room anymore. But if all of your, all of your storage is open, uh, there's really no way to put things. So um, doors on the storage is, is something else you can do. Mm. And then bringing more light into the space. So uh, I didn't actually describe the light, I think, as I was talking about this, but what I had in my head of the light is one of those terrible surface mount lamps um, that you see like from Home Depot or Lowe's um, that oftentimes clients will mention that it looks like a certain part of female anatomy, but I'm not yeah. going to say it on your podcast, uh, right? Yeah, that's what I was just um, imagining myself. <laughs> but it, it gives a really terrible quality of light. It's just mm. not, not good light. And so replacing that overhead light with um, semi-flush mount rather than a flush mount uh, can, as we talked in the lighting episode, uh, can bounce some light off the ceiling, mm-hmm. making sure that that ceiling is as bright as possible. You know, if that ceiling is dingy, we want to repaint it to a bright white. Um, and then also adding in either floor lamps and or table lamps to get more kind of glow to the room. Yeah. So I would say my ideal renovation of that room would be to bump out the walls so it was a little bit bigger, um, to reorient where the TV is so that it's next to the door and the seating is with its its face to the door. Um, to uh, close up some of the storage. Uh, and I mean, you can still certainly have open bookshelves. I, I like having open bookshelves because I like books, but uh, they can accumulate clutter if they're not being intentionally used. So you can you know, have your books on the shelf as long as uh, it's what you want to be looking at. Mm. So you know, maybe put some nice books on the open shelves and then uh, use the closed cabinet areas for storage of things that are, are bigger and get more light in there. And I think it would be a much nicer space. And the, again, there's certain things you can't change. You can't change the ceiling height, you know, but mm. you can still make it better than it is. People, people live in all sorts of different spaces. Indeed, I mean, they do. You could have this and you could have the enormous echoing master suite. Um, and they're uncomfortable in different ways, but, but it's real. If you're in that space, whatever the space is and whatever its dysfunction is, it's real and it's uncomfortable. And it, it really does help to, to make changes and fix it. I had clients I spoke with last week, actually, um, new clients, uh, they have an, it's a beautiful older home. It's a colonial home, like actual, you know, late 1700s, but the dining room has super dark wood beams on it and it's got low ceilings because it's an older home. Right. Uh, and they said that the dining room doesn't feel comfortable uh, and it's dark. Um, and the reason we tend to paint ceilings white is because white has the highest light reflectance value. So for any given light source, it's get, you're going to get the most mileage out of that light source if you've got light colors for it to bounce off of. Mm-hmm. If you think about uh, if you put a candle in a black box and look in, the only light you'll see is just that candle. If you put a candle in a, a white box, you'll see that light reflected on all of the surfaces. So right. you get more, more bang for your buck in terms of lighting. Um, so not only is this a low ceiling, but it's a dark ceiling. And so it's really like sucking up all of the light in the room and making it dark. So that's something that you can change. You know, they can't change the ceiling height, but they could choose to either lighten the wood, you know, have it stripped and finished in a lighter tone. They do have white painted woodwork elsewhere in the house. Um, some people feel very strongly about painting woodwork in older homes, but 
you know, if you're in a room that you're not ever going to use because it feels terrible to be in, mm. I think it's okay to modify your home that way. You know, if they were to lighten their ceiling, I think it would make the room feel significantly brighter. It would make the ceiling feel less like it's crushing in on them. Yeah. I think it would make the room much, much more pleasant to be in. Uh, so there are things, you know, sometimes you can't change certain parts of a room, but uh, you can, you can play around with them. Uh, another thing I see a lot of in um, sort of homes of a certain age <laughs> in the Boston area, it's like there were a couple of, I don't know, architects who sold their designs to a lot of people. I'm not sure quite how it happened, but <laughs> there's a, a thing that I see a lot in older homes that's this long, narrow living room um, with a door from the entryway on one end and a door to the kitchen on the other end. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fireplace is on the long wall. Yeah. So uh, like really the only place you can put a sofa if you want to be watching the fireplace is on that long wall. And it means that there's this huge like path that goes straight through, uh, you know, right in front of where your coffee table is. So that, as we talked about before, having um, foot traffic go through a conversation area tends to feel a little bit ungrounding. And also you can't really put in a great conversation area because it's so long and linear. Right. Um, and often there's, I've noticed often on the couch wall, there's also a door to the side porch. Yes. Yes. Or sometimes at the far end. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, yeah, there's traffic in a lot of different directions, even just distilling it. I, I've had, I had a client who called me in and there was a, a room that had at least one door on every wall, but most, most walls had two doors mm -hmm. and some of them were archways uh, and all of them needed to be used. So like, you know, the laundry came from A to B and, you know, and so it's like, you know, where do you put any furniture in this room without blocking something? Yeah. Um, but with the long skinny room, there's a couple of different ways to, to mitigate it. But I would say one to consider if people are stuck with this problem is um, creating more than one conversation area mm -hmm. because trying to make the entire conversation area, this long linear thing, oftentimes you can't even fit two chairs to face each other, you know, to make a C with a couch because that's where you're trying to walk. But if you, you know, center the sofa on the, uh, the mantle and the fireplace, uh, if you put, if there's enough room for like a sectional to put a chaise on, oftentimes that will take less room than having put a whole chair there. So people can sit and talk at, at an angle to each other. Uh, but then you'll have these two spaces on the ends of the room. And that can have, you know, a reading nook with one easy chair and a footrest and a lamp. It can be two upholstered chairs and like a low coffee table and a side table with a table lamp. Uh, you see you have a little conversation nook there. And breaking the room into those separate pieces, um, while it's not what people, people oftentimes sort of feel as if they need to create that central space right around the fireplace and they like, they can't put anything anywhere else. But mm -hmm. it's a much more functional room if you think of it as sort of a series of areas rather than one room where you have to put the sofa right here. Because it just, it really doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> it really doesn't work when you just put the sofa right there. So, so far the sectional has been the most successful way I've found of having people be able to be in that space and still look at each other, you know, at a corner angle, which is what we tend to like as we're talking to people, mm -hmm. um, because there's, there's room for that and people can still walk past it as opposed to putting a huge lounge chair. In. Yeah. Yeah. So being creative with the space, sometimes you can't really change that, that room is the way it is in hundreds, if not thousands of homes in the Boston area. And unless you can, you know, bump out that entire wall and make your home bigger, which most people don't have the desire to do or the funds to do, um, finding a creative way to look at the space and arrange the space can really make a huge difference. Right. And as as we meant, were talking about earlier, bigger is not always better anyway. Even even mm -hmm. making that room bigger still wouldn't solve the circulation issues that 
that are in the yeah. room. Yeah. Well, and another benefit is if you are hosting, I think oftentimes it's sort of as people think they know what they want, but they haven't necessarily um, thought it through all the way. Uh, people sometimes want this enormous conversation area. You know, I want a huge sectional. And oftentimes, uh, naturally at parties and gatherings, it, it feels more natural and normal to have small areas where people can gather and talk about different things as mm-hmm. opposed to one huge space for 16 people to have a conversation. Now, if you're having a book group or something, you know, that's a valid point, but. Right. Um, but parties never yeah. end up being that way. Very rarely do more than five people right. engage in a conversation it's, together. So having uh, in the room, you know, if you lay it out with uh, two chairs and a little table, little sectional sofa, uh, and then a lounge chair with a, an ottoman, right? Somebody can sit in the chair. Somebody can sit on the ottoman. They can talk. Mm-hmm. People can sit on the sectional. They can talk. People can sit in the two little chairs over that side. They can talk. People yeah. can walk back and forth from the kitchen to the entry, and they're not walking through any of those conversations. All of those conversations are in and of themselves contained. Mm-hmm. So you've got you know this this area that's very functional for gathering. Um, it's just not trying to make the entire room into one thing. I think identifying what the actual need is, um, and that can be the case in design as well. Um, yeah. That what is the problem we have? The problem is we have no place in this living room to put our television Mm -hmm. or the only wall we can put the television on means that the back of the sofa has to be sort of directly facing an enormous arched entryway to the foyer, which is not a comfortable place to have the back of your couch. And it's not a welcoming way for somebody to come in from the foyer and go into the room. So it's both uncomfortable to sit in and watch television and it's uncomfortable to come in and feel like you're getting a cold shoulder from somebody who's sitting with their back to you. So, you know, what can you do with <laughs> with that? Uh, you can reconsider your television habits. You can reconsider whether you need to have all of those walls gone uh, that are gone right now. You know, could you make that enormous archway into a door and hang the TV where there's currently a, a huge gap? And then you could sit with your seating area facing both, you know, the entry to the foyer and the entry to the, I don't know, dining area on the other side or something. I like to say mm-hmm. with um, with foot traffic, I like to think of uh, furniture as being like kind of a catcher's mitt. I would say the optimal arrangement for seating as you walk into a space is like you walk into the embrace of the seating as opposed to walking into the back of something. Mm-hmm. You kind of want people to be caught in the, uh, in the kind of comfortable embrace. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are times with open plan where it's really unavoidable to put a chair or a sofa with its back to an open space And with that, I have a tendency to want to separate it out into two spaces so that, for example, if you put a a console behind the, so in the example here, if you had to have your sofa with its back to the foyer and the huge open space, so big archway, if you bump the sofa forward a little bit and put a console behind it, uh, you can create kind of an extension of the foyer uh, into that space with the console. And that's like part of your entryway, Mm. but then it, it separates out the back of the sofa in a way that like you're not in the living room when you come in uh, yeah you're in the foyer um, and you're not looking at you know you're still looking at the back of somebody's head and like to be honest this is not the optimal solution <laughs> but if you have to have your sofa there because you have to have your tv on the other wall because that's what you've decided you have to have having that separation so that um you're not getting the emotional impact of coming into the back of somebody mm-hmm. with that cold shoulder and for the people who are sitting in the chair, they feel like they have some buffer from the tiger that's sneaking up on them yeah. um, because the tiger surely can't get past that table. There's a lot of illogical things about prospect refuge theory and the comfort of a sense of space, but really sometimes even just putting a console behind a sofa really makes the sofa feel much safer. Um, mm. It's just sort of an instinctive 
reaction that we have. And again, different people respond differently to that and have different sort of strengths of how much they feel it. But for the people who feel it, it's, it's a really powerful force of discomfort. Yeah. Thing that you can do with like those huge open archways everywhere, depending on the scale of the space that you're entering. If you put a wall basically that's directly in front of where the huge open archway is, but that's far enough, you know, it's maybe four or five feet in front of where the archway is and it extends past the archway. Uh, it means that you go into the sort of um, middle space, like this liminal, this liminal transition space uh, that's neither, you know, in room A or room B. Mm-hmm. And then you turn either left or right and you go around that divider. Yeah. But that divider provides a sense of, quote, safety, right? Well, and gives, an actual gives, wall. And it's an actual wall. You can also hang your TV there. You know? <laughs> yeah, you um, could. Uh, so, and it, that doesn't work with all rooms because there may not be space for it, but in a certain scale yeah. of home and a certain scale of room, mm-hmm. um, that can really help with uh, the kind of pervasive problem of huge archways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it can create a transition space that makes getting into the room feel special. Yeah. And that like that little hallway that you're describing um, is similar. I think having transitional spaces can make the result feel more special. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it's a bathroom or a bedroom or whatever it is, having that moment where you're not in A and you're not in B, um, I don't know, there's like a little magic to it. it. It creates a sense of like anticipation as you're going into the room. You don't see everything that's behind the barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so there's a sense of reveal. And I think that's one of the things I like about walls. <laughs> I can take, <laughs> take a position on this. Um, and I like spacious spaces as well as anybody, but I do think walls really are helpful in homes is that they create that sense of, of an unfolding journey. If you're mm. going from, you know, bedroom to hallway to stairway to, uh, I don't know, living space to dining area to kitchen. Um, if you've got very few dividers among those, you sort of see where you're going with no discovery at all. But when you're in all these separate spaces, you have a sense of the journey from place to place. And each place can have a slightly different flavor too. Uh, and in terms of design styles, sometimes... Um, you know, I joke sometimes with psychology of space, like I also do some sort of marital therapy sometimes with couples who have really different styles. Mm. But if you have uh, no dividers between spaces, your styles, you know, in the kitchen and the dining room and the living area all really need to be pretty cohesively in one direction. But if you have a series of smaller spaces, you can evolve from one style to, you know, down the road, another one so that uh, both partners could maybe have one that they really like, and then they could have like the chocolate ice cream in the middle between the mint and the coffee. Mm. Um, you could have these kind of transitional spaces that uh, that are styles that they can both live with that evolve the space. But having walls creates that creates that kind of like adventure through your home where you get to go to all those different spaces, and not having walls kind of robs you of that. I agree with you, uh, but I do like your ice cream analogy because the chocolate goes with the coffee, and the chocolate goes with the mint. But the mint and the coffee don't need to deal with each other. Yeah. So and peanut butter too. I mean, yeah, I've had a client say, but I've drunk mint coffee and I'm like, okay, you know, everybody has their own tastes. I don't know about mint peanut butter though. It's mm-hmm. mint peanut butter coffee, you know, is not That's, to my I don't mind know, optimal. Yes. <laughs> if anybody likes that, you should write to me and say, no, I like mint <laughs> peanut butter coffee. Oh, yeah. Um, but you know, yeah. you could have a chocolate room in the middle and then you could have, you know, a little hallway, like you say, and you could have a peanut butter room at the end of the hallway yeah. and you could have, you know, a wall between the chocolate room and the mint room and the mint room, you'd have to go through the chocolate to get to the hallway to get to the peanut butter. So, um, yeah, by the so, time you get to peanut butter, you forgot all about mint. So it's not, yeah, it cause you've had this, you've had this separate transitional space of the chocolate room. Hmm. Um, and 
it's a silly analogy, but it really, it, it does track. Um, it's not silly. It, it makes sense. Yeah. Having different spaces that are visually separate means that you can do that. And if, if all those spaces are one space, you don't have any kind of nuance to play with. I am definitely going to use that when, because I do have people all the time wanting to open everything up. Mm-hmm. So I can explain, I, I'll, I'll try to use that one on them too. I mean, mostly I try yeah. to get them to think about someone watching a movie that you definitely don't want to watch. Right. But you right. have to watch it because you have to basically listen to it because you're in the same space. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's visual privacy. There's auditory privacy. Um, mm-hmm. When you've got open plan kitchen, there's like olfactory scent privacy. Mm-hmm. Like you Absolutely. sometimes don't want to be smelling what somebody else is cooking. Yeah. Um, there's the functionality of being able to put things on the walls. You know, people have art and then they yeah. have no walls. <laughs> yeah. So, art and TV and bookcases. Yeah. Some people have yeah. bookcases. Yeah. Yeah. The thermostat and light switch, you know, uh, yeah. like when walls. Actual controls. Premium. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's uh, sort of the, the walls are unsung heroes. Um, but I think people are sort of coming around to realize that, uh, the open plan went a little too far in some yeah. ways. I mean, um, I definitely think they're going to realize that now yeah. after being home with just the other people in their house for. Oh gosh, you know, that's true. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I live in a home with walls because I like walls. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and I had live, I love it. We yeah. can go in one room and we have enough, we're lucky to have enough rooms in the house that all five of us can go elsewhere mm-hmm. and not have mm-hmm. to be together. If we don't want to, which is but yeah, that's, honestly that's sometimes. True. Yeah. This is probably like a litmus test for families living in those open plan homes, probably foods in their bedrooms. I had a video video sort of rant about my feelings about open plan um, mm-hmm. last year, and I, I still agree with myself on that one. Yeah. Anyway, it's just, you know, the coziness of a small room or just being able to have the separation and have your own space mm-hmm. is nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, and again, I think of homes as being like a nest, um, and there is something about coziness that I... Everybody has different definitions of cozy, I've discovered um, mm. in my profession. But in my definition of cozy, there's a certain element of feeling um, like safe and enclosed. It's like the difference between a plate and a bowl. Like having something around you just feels more cozy to me. Mm. I like that too. Well, um, thank you so much, Catherine. This has been really great. No problem. It was nice for you to it's come been on. fun to talk. Yeah. And we'll, uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Sure thing. If you have questions for Catherine about your spaces, you could reach her at springgreendesign.com. And thanks again for all of the ideas and the time that you spent talking to me about these issues. And I think we're all noticing things about our houses that maybe we didn't really notice before, that didn't bother us before, or um, but now maybe many of us have the time to think about solutions. So Anyway, this is a production of my architecture firm, DemiosArchitects.com. Check out the website because we have a, uh, online various online events happening. We've got a book group. We've got uh, Saturday morning chats where we're solving the problems of the world, kind of. And also I have a new series coming up, uh, Talking Art. And that is the second Wednesday of the month in the evening, 7.30 Eastern, 8.30 Eastern. And I'll be interviewing artists about their work on Zoom so we can actually see their work and they'll talk about their careers and objectives and their art and whatever else they end up talking about. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, anything, you can email me at thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. I'd love to hear from you and any suggestions for future shows that you would like to hear please let me know. So until next time, 
Take care. Bye.